All right. Shabbat Shalom. I know we got an awful lot of people socializing in the uh, in the welcome foyer. If you guys could go ahead and come on in. We're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, we do have Oneg afterwards, so uh, definitely some more time for you to fellowship. Don't want to keep uh, you from that fellowship, but uh, we got a great service today. I'm excited. Absolutely excited on this Shabbat. Um, I want to go over a couple of housekeeping announcements with you uh, for this week. Um, uh, next week, we've got Monty Judah uh, will be our guest speaker. So keeping with the three weeks in a row, we had Rico Cortez. We had Matthew Banderels this week. And then we have Monty Judah, who will be our guest speaker next week. Um, we have an outreach opportunity tomorrow at the Grace Living Center, which is here in Norman. Um, Stephen Drews and uh, our group is going to get together. They're going to go over, play some games, do some worship music and stuff like that. So uh, if you have an interest in getting involved with that, uh, going on over to Grace Living Center, please get with Stephen or Alicia. Uh, their number is also in the bulletin if you would like to do that. Um, you know, one of the biggest parts of our congregation is trying to get engaged in the community, make a difference in the community, uh, and we can do that on all the days of the week. It is not necessary to just choose one. So tomorrow, uh, on the first day of the week, we're going to go to the Grace Living Center. If you'd like to be a part of that worship time, the game time, stuff like that, get with Stephen and Leisha Drews. Uh, I know, it's the middle of the summer, everybody's thinking about beaches and pools and flip-flops and shorts, I'm held over for camp. Normally you would not see me on the BEMA with shorts, but uh, I'm just here to give housekeeping announcements today, so I'm, I'm kicking it kind of, uh, kind of low-key. So, um, Feast of Tabernacles is coming up, it's coming up extremely quick. Uh, that's going to be uh, September 24th through October 2nd. Uh, we do not do our own Feast of Tabernacles here at HFF. Uh, we are engaged with the Lion and Lamb Ministries Feast of Tabernacles in Chandler. Uh, so if you don't have a place to go, if you're looking for a place to go, uh, visit tabernaclesevent.com. There are still some spots available for that. Fantastic children's program, youth program, all kinds of stuff uh, throughout the, the whole entire camp. Um, it's a very, very well-run camp. I know the guy who helps do that. Uh, he's, kind of a, he's kind of a good guy. Um, so uh, nobody caught that joke? Not even Jeff. Jeff didn't even want to laugh at that. He's like, no, I don't even want my name attached to that. Um, our youth gathering. Our youth gathering is picking back up this week, this Thursday, at Mike and Melissa Ophel's house. Micah will be not quite as tired at that point in time, so she'll be the life of the party. But uh, Thursday night at the Ophel's house, which is right uh, a couple miles down the road. Uh, men's prayer breakfast is August 12th. Make sure to mark your uh, calendars for that. That's going to be at Monty's house. Ladies' prayer meeting is going to be July 29th at 10 a.m. at the Frickers' home. Um, today is the deadline. I know. I know. Some of you are like, this is the first time I've ever heard it. It just got really, really quiet when I said deadline. I'm going to start off the service by saying deadline. You didn't laugh at the other joke, but you're going to laugh at that one? Seriously? <laughs> Uh, today is the deadline to let Melissa Musson know 
If you are going to the ladies' gathering on the 24th, which is at the melting pot. Last week I went on and on about women's love for fondue and chocolate and cheeses, and it's at least a four-hour gathering. So guys, you should go ahead and sleep up the night before because you're going to be watching the kids for a while. But please see Melissa because the ladies are all going to the melting pot on Tuesday night, the 24th, uh, for a time of fellowship, hanging out. And uh, I hear pretty good food. I've never been there myself, but uh, everybody who's ever been to the melting pot raves about the food. So see Melissa. Melissa is out in the lobby preparing for Oh, no, she's not. She's standing right there waving her hand. Um, And so see Melissa if you have any interest in going, but they do need to make the reservations. And so please see her, and she'll be able to make sure that you have a spot for that. Um, Also want to take a really quick second to talk to you guys about our guest speaker and his family today. Some of you may already know this, and so if you do, uh, you're going to listen to it again. If you don't know, then it's important. You're going to see some of us wearing the Heritage of Abraham shirts. And you're going to say, man, that's a really awesome t-shirt. It is a really awesome t-shirt. Um, the reason why we ha- some of us have these t-shirts is because the Vanderells family is, has adopted a son before, and now they are in the process of attempting to adopt another child. So that cute little thing right there, Mr. Ben... Uh, and by the way, he is unbelievably cute, like uh, unbelievably cute. The kids like always like, Chris, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Is that what you do, Ben? Yeah. So they're in the process of attempting to adopt another uh, child for their family, and it's going to cost about $30,000. And so they have about 15 of that 30000 but they've already had the home study. They've already had all this stuff done, and now it's uh, their portfolio, their profile is out there for uh, birth moms to look at. And so it could be today they could get a call. It could be a couple weeks down the road, whatever. But they could get a call at any point in time and have a child uh, ready to go to their family. And so they're still going to have about a $15,000 deficit to be able to complete that adoption and complete all of those things. And so maybe maybe a little bit less. I don't know. That's the last number I heard. But so these T-shirts were uh, given as a donation uh, to try to help them raise those funds. And so um, that's near and dear on our heart. Obviously, family in the fellowship name is huge for us. And so if you would like to make a special offering towards the adoption fund for the Vanderells today, please go ahead and put a check or cash or whatever, but mark it specifically for the adoption fund and 100% of those proceeds online as well. Um, 100% of those proceeds are going to go directly to the Vanderells family to help them uh, be able to bring home another bundle of joy. And uh, then next time when Vanderells come out here next year, well, there'll be a family of four, hopefully. You know, praise the Lord. So if, it's, if the little girl or little boy is anything like Ben, whoa. So kids, you have a good time at Camp Yeshua this week? A couple of you did? We had an amazing time at Camp Yeshua this week. It was uh, fantastic. You can see on the front, Legends was our theme. We're going to carry that over a little bit in our service this, uh, this morning. Matthew was one of our guest teachers there. And then we've got a guest worship leader, uh, Amy Brooke, who also helped lead worship there uh, at camp as well. And so we had a lot of people from our community. We had Melissa Ray helped with the medical. Um, we had uh, Corey Stallsworth with bass and stuff. And so it was just a fantastic week. Uh, of serving the Lord and serving the youth in the community, about 325 people in the middle of Anadarko, and it was a fantastic week. So um, super excited about that, 
And we're going to carry that over into our service today. And for any of the youth and the youth families that are here, it'll carry on this afternoon as well at Bed Me, which is up in Oklahoma City. And I believe their service starts at 3 p.m. So if you're looking for something else to do on Shabbat uh, and to be able to go and have more teaching and more fellowship, please do go to Bed Me this afternoon as well and uh, give the Stallsworths a big high five for me. So let's stand up. Let's meet somebody that we don't know. Let's say Shabbat Shalom to him. Introduce yourself, and then we're going to go ahead and kick this uh, Shabbat off right with some praise and worship. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. If you can all make your way back to your seats, we're going to start worship. Never fail. 
can be calmed and broken from my regard. And through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. And through it all, through it all, it is well. And through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. And it is well with me. Far be it for me to not believe, even when.
how true are those words, are they not? As long as we keep our eyes on him, it is well with our soul. How many of you believe that? Amen. Amen. All right. We've got a lot of things to pray for this morning, so I'm going to run through them with you, and then I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray for them. We want to praise God for Camp Yeshua, first of all. I understand it was one of the best camps that they've had, and God moved mightily through his spirit in the hearts of many of the campers and the, and the counselors that were there. So we want to give God praise for what he accomplished this past week. One of the young ladies that went to camp this week was involved in a car accident yesterday in Oklahoma City. Her name is Kristen, and we need to be praying for her. Uh, she has a broken pelvis, lacerated liver, and some bruises to her lung. She's scheduled for surgery on her pelvis on Monday, and she's up at the OU Medical Center. She's from Kansas, and her mom has come down, and uh, so we need to pray for her. We need to pray for the doctors as they operate on her Monday, uh, for her family, and for just a quick recovery for her. We want to pray for uh, Daniel and his family. Uh, they're here from California. Uh, God has, is moving them back here. And so they're in the process of getting all that stuff together that needs to happen to move back here. Uh, God, had, God sold their home in California, which is a miracle. Found him a job here already. And so uh, he's here... Uh, uh, doing, getting some things done and had brought his children to the camp. He's going to be heading back today to California and then they're going to load up their, their uh, trailer, their mobile home, whatever those things are called. <laughs> and then they're going to head back out here on the 30th of July. And, uh, and then he'll, he'll uh, so we need to be praying for them for a safe trip today as they go back to California that they'll get all the final arrangements done in the next couple of weeks for safe travel back. He starts his job at Halliburton on the 6th of August. And so we need to pray. Yes. We need to pray that God will, that he'll find a home, that God will lead him to a place to, to move to. So they're going to live in their trailer, their mobile home, their fifth wheel, whatever it's called, RV. Yeah, something like that. So they're going to live in that until they can find a home. So we need to be praying for that. All right. Um, we need to be praying for Patrice and Corey's mom. Uh, she was up all, most of the night sick. Uh, she's had some, uh, some other, it's been going on for some days now, I guess. I understand, but she didn't get much sleep, obviously, last night, throwing up and and sick all night, and if you've ever been in that situation, that's not any fun, so we need to be praying for her. Her name is Elizabeth, so we need to pray for her, and we don't want to forget Patrice and keep praying for her knee, that it continues to heal, and uh, you're not back at work yet, are you? Are you scheduled to be back at work soon? Okay, we need to pray for that too, that uh, it'll heal and she can get back to work. All right, um, I think that's just about it. There's a lot of things to be praying for. So I'm going to, we'll give you some minutes here to, to pray for the things that God puts on your heart. 
and then I'll close this in a few minutes. that we have to come before you to lift up our brothers and sisters to put them into your lap and know that you will take care of them thank you that you are going to answer the prayers this morning that were brought up to you in a way in which you will receive the glory and the honor we thank you for the time so far this morning to praise you thank you for the service and the privilege that we have to be able to gather freely and to worship you. And we know that around the world, many other believers are being persecuted right now. And we pray for them. We lift them up to you, Father, and thank you that you have a special place for them. We pray for the rest of the service. We pray for Matthew as he brings the message this morning and ask that uh, his words might speak mightily to us, that his words might change our hearts, bring us into a closer relationship with you, so that when we leave here today, we may be changed. So we thank you for this time. We lift it up to you. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor, and we pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Here at HFF, we like to always pour out a blessing upon the children that are in our midst. So if all the kids could come up, we'll pour out a special blessing upon them this week. All the children, you know, those who are... 15, 16, think they're too cool? Come on up here. Yeah, that whole back row right there. We got one down here that's like six foot two. <laughs> Our cup runneth over here with all the blessing that we have with all these children. Let's bless them in the name of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing blessing that you have given us this day of the future, your future, your plans for this world is laid out before us. We see that through the blessing of these children, knowing that they will be taught your ways. We ask that they would walk in your ways all the days of their lives. May their steps be ordered by you, Father. May your spirit guide them. 
And may they walk in a path that leads to righteousness. And may their testimony reach those around them. May they become great in their generation. As as they may be like Noah and Moses. Righteous in their generation. And may they have an impact that lasts far beyond their lives. Father, we lift up to you the, the sons. We pray that you would make them like Ephraim and Manasseh. May they be blessed in their coming in and going out. May they be blessed in everything they apply themselves to. May they be fruitful and multiply. We pray that your hand would be upon the young ladies. May they be like Ruth and like Esther. May they be faithful in everything that they commit themselves to. May their testimony be heard of generations later of their faithfulness to you. Father, we ask that you would place your hand upon these children that you would guide them and lead them. And when you do, may they lead us. We thank you, Father. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Yeshua. Amen. If any of the little ones need a break during our service, the uh, nursery is open for them to enjoy. For right now, let us give a Hebraic Family Fellowship welcome all the way from North Carolina and South Carolina. Make that mistake from time to time. From uh, Founded in Truth Fellowship out there, a good friend of mine and a wonderful teacher, Matthew Vanderels. Thank you so much. Um, so, yeah, it's great to be back here uh, today. It's always a joy to come visit uh, what I feel uh, our, is our extended family all the way here in Oklahoma. And so thank you for welcoming us back. We had a great time at Camp Yeshua. Um, how, many, how, many, how many teens over here have attended Camp Yeshua? I see, I see a couple of these little special bracelets right here. Anybody got one of those here? Yeah. Four years been coming to Camp Yeshua, and I just got one of these Spirit of Messiah bracelets, what I worked really hard for. My team uh, did great, and I appreciate them for getting me one of these iconic bracelets. So, um, today I want to talk about kind of one of my favorite topics, and I guess you can say my favorite topic is the gospel, um, and the extent of the gospel, and the power of the gospel, and the message of the gospel, and the boldness of the gospel, and the risk of living out the gospel. Um, but before we go there, we're going to start uh, in, in one of the boldest, boldest prophets in the Old Testament, and that is Jeremiah. And we're going to go to a familiar passage of Jeremiah 31, verse... What verse do you think we're going to go to in Jeremiah 31? 31. We're going to go to verse 31. And let's see here. So I'm going to need some help with this. We're going to go through the worship set. I'm going backwards. Well, I had it here. Well, go ahead and turn with me to Jeremiah 31. <laughs> this is great. It's like worship all over again. There it is. The name of this message is The Radical Rabbi. So, yeah, I was proud of that. So, Jeremiah 31, 31. 
We're going to begin there. If you have your scriptures, please turn with me. Uh, this, is, this should be a familiar passage for you. Um, so it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, and it will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law, my Torah, into their minds, and I will inscribe it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Yada, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and will remember their sins no more. And so what the Father's saying to his people is he's saying, listen, we're going to make a, a new covenant. And instead of covenant, I want to kind of I want to I want to assert the word relationship. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have a new relationship with my people because the relationship that we had before was was completely broken and trashed based off their actions and their rebellion and their sins and their transgressions. And I'm gonna do something so incredible that it's going, to, it's going to produce this new relationship with my people. Now, does anyone know what the context of this prophecy is? Because we always quote this section of Scripture, right? And, and, and it's a huge deal. But does anyone actually know like the context of what's going on in the backdrop with Jeremiah? Okay, so, so the context is Judah is sitting in Babylon in exile apart from God. And, and we know the story of Israel. Israel was selected to be a nation of priests that would take part in mediating heaven and earth. They would take part in bringing the reign and the justice and the love of God from heaven and implementing it on earth, just like it was in the garden before the two were separated. And they were called to be these ambassadors of the heavenly kingship on earth. And, um, and did they do it? We got the whole story of the Bible is about how and why they didn't. They didn't. No, Israel rebelled. Uh, we know what happened. Solomon became an arms dealer, the, the, this, this prodigal son of, uh, of David. He becomes an arms dealer and begins to profit off of war and violence. Um, and he even, uh, he even forces slaves to build the temple to a God that frees slaves. Did you ever notice that in Kings? This was King Solomon. And Judah began to go down the path like all the other nations, and they realized that if they exploit the poor and the weak, that they can profit from it. And this is what Amos is all about. And the father says, this is not what I've called you to do. And how dare you say that you worship me with your Sabbaths and your temple worship and all of your, all of your offerings to me. How can you say that I'm your God, the God that redeems slaves and is there and petitions for the poor and the weak when you exploit them to make profit? And so how does God respond? God responds by sending Babylon. And Babylon comes in, they destroy the temple, they rack Jerusalem, sack Jerusalem, and they enslave the Judeans. They force the Judeans to go all the way back to Babylon to serve them. So you have this people that God redeemed from slavery, and he says, I'm your God. I am the God that frees slaves. I'm the God that redeems oppressed people. And then these people begin to act like Egypt. And so what does God do? He puts them back in the same situation, apart from him, in slavery. And during this time, prophets rise up 
prophets like Isaiah, prophets like Jeremiah, and they begin to speak these bold, bold promises by the voice of God. And they say, I know that you're down, but you're not out. And I know you find yourself in a strange land, and I know that you find yourself without a home, and you think that I've left you, but no, I have plans for you. My mission will succeed. I am not done with you. Despite your transgression, God will still win. And God makes these bold promises that says, the earth will still be filled with my glory, so much so that heaven will collide with earth once again, just as it was in the garden, where my reign and my kingdom will overtake every corner, and so much so that this will be like a new reality. It will be a new heaven. It will be a new earth. Everything will be different. In this reality, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. And they, and they use all of this type of, type of over-expressive literature. The snakes will eat grass because they won't be interested in biting you. And the lions will eat grass, which is just crazy. But, but this is what God promises. He says, there will be a world where violence and war and the oppression of the weak will no longer no longer exist, and my love and my forgiveness will be abundant, despite you rebelling against me. And this is what the context of Jeremiah 31, 31 is. God is promising, he says, you messed up. I gave you something, and we had a relationship, and you messed it up, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna make another relationship with you. I'm gonna build another relationship with you, and, it, and it's not gonna be like the other one. I'm not simply gonna renew the last one. No, no, you messed that one up. This, one, this one's going to be different. This one's going to be stronger. And what makes this new relationship so strong? What is the very core and substance of this? It's that last line right there. The very foundation of this new relationship that God's going to pour out with his people is going to be based on him forgiving them for their wickedness and him remembering their sin no more. This will be the foundation of this new covenantal relationship. That's powerful. That's powerful. When I think about this, I struggled with it because it's like, ooh. has anyone ever in here ever, ever messed up a relationship pretty bad? I don't know, you know. I mean, it can, it can be anything from like a high school relationship all the way up to a marriage. Has anyone ever messed up a relationship pretty bad? Has anyone ever been forgiven in that relationship? Did that relationship change from that point forward? It was just a little bit different. It was just a little bit stronger. Guys, this is what God is proclaiming is going to happen for his people. And, uh, and I'm going to reference a pagan mythological bird here, and it's, it's the, the phoenix. And the phoenix is a great illustration, if I can use that to beautify this example, this Hebraic covenantal relationship. You guys know what a phoenix is? It's this mythological bird, and, and it rises up, and it's vibrant, and it's strong, and it's fire coming off of it. And it's just this beautiful living creature flying through the air. But it doesn't become that until it rises from the own ashes of its death. And from its death produces something magnificent. This is what Jeremiah is trying to get across to his people. This is the hope that Israel had from the moment that Jeremiah and Isaiah begin to speak onward. Now let's fast forward to Galilee in the first century where there is this rabbi who's walking around and this rabbi who just got baptized and he wandered out in the wilderness for 40 days where he was tempted 
with the same three temptations that Israel failed in the wilderness. And he walked out of the wilderness victorious on behalf of Israel. And he begins picking disciples. And he doesn't go to the synagogues. And he doesn't go to the universities. And he doesn't go and try to pick the smartest and greatest and brightest minds to be his disciples. Who does he pick? The fishermen. The fishermen. He chose the men that did not qualify to be disciples of rabbis. He chose the unwanted. This this, this rabbi was radical. Some would say he's a little crazy. What are you doing? And this rabbi walks around Galilee preaching what? The good news. The good news of what? The good news of the kingdom of heaven. And what does he say? He said, It's come near. It's come near. It's coming now. The the heavenly kingdom of God's reign, it's happening now. And God is raising up a kingdom people now to expand his kingdom now, on earth now. The kingdom is among you now. Repent, repent, and follow me. That's so powerful. As the garden is the perfect example of what, what was always meant for God's good world and God's good creation. It was the place where God's reign was recognized by his creation and carried out by his creation, and he walked among his creation in the cool of the day. And it was man that chose autonomy from God. It was man that chose to define good and evil apart from God's reign. It was man that said, I want to rule my own life. And the story of the Bible talks about how this heavenly domain on earth, God's kingdom, was lifted up. It was pushed away. It was pushed away. Yeshua is saying that heaven is kissing earth. It's kissing earth through me. Follow me if you want to experience this. And what was this, what was this rabbi's name? Joshua. Joshua or Yeshua. This Yeshua from Nazareth, a no-name son of a carpenter from a small town that never really produced anything good. And he ascends a mountain and he's going to preach a sermon And it's a sermon about a kingdom, and it's a sermon about a people of a kingdom. And he preaches a sermon about what a people looks like that have the Torah inscribed on their heart and fulfills the Torah from their hearts. And it's a radical message, and it's a messy message, and it's a hard message. But Yeshua is proclaiming what a Jeremiah 31 kingdom looks like. And in my opinion, this is what gets him killed. This message is what gets him killed. So Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn there with me, we're not going to review the entire Sermon on the Mount, but I want to introduce you to this radical, subversive, revolutionary rabbi from Nazareth who started a revolution 2,000 years ago and invites you to take part of it. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 Seeing that the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, so where did Yeshua sit down? On a mountain? On a mountain? On the mountain? Does your Bible say the mountain or a mountain? It's the. 
It's the. So he sits down on, on the mountain, and Yeshua is about to speak on behalf of God on the mountain. Why does that sound so familiar? A man speaking on behalf of God on the mountain. Matthew? I like Matthew. Matthew here intentionally uses a definite article for mountain. He, he intentionally doesn't say a mountain. He says the mountain because he's trying to force an image into your mind. He's trying to force the image of Mount Sinai. He's trying to force the image of Moses. He's trying to force God handing down his instructions to his people on how they are to live in relationship with him. Matthew's trying to force this, but when you look, it's not Mount Sinai, and it's not Moses. No, it's, it's the greater Moses. It's the prophet that is greater than Moses that has now come. And, and Yeshua is fixing to give this, this teaching on what it means to be in relationship with God on behalf of his kingdom. And, uh, and the gospel writers knew this. It was a big deal, um, big deal on how they portrayed Yeshua. <sighs> Guys, both Jewish and Christian canons in the Bible, they, they end kind of abruptly, if you've noticed. If you read the story of the Bible, the Christian Bible ends with Malachi, the Jewish with Chronicles, and both end with a very disturbing, big, bold, dark, to be continued, dot, dot, dot. Why? Why? Because the story of the Bible is about a people who were called to help restore heaven and earth. They were called to merge them together, to help restore Eden. And instead of fulfilling their vocation, they became like the world, and they rebelled, and they were sent into exile, and all hope was lost. What will happen? Will God's kingdom actually manifest on earth? Will it engulf the globe? How? This was it. This is what he said was going to happen, and it didn't. Will the temple ever be rebuilt? And Isaiah and Malachi and Jeremiah all come in proclaiming, yes. They proclaim that God will do something new, that, that something grand is going to happen. They, they proclaim another son of David will rise up. And this king will establish God's kingdom on earth. This king will gather together all nations to God. This king will usher in this world of God's shalom, forgiveness, and community. It, it will show the reality of God's love. This king will end the exile from God. This king will lead this greater exodus from sin and death. This is the promises that God makes through his prophets. This is why Mark starts his gospel out quoting these prophecies and, and connecting them to Yeshua. Mark sold out. Yeshua is the one. He's the one that's going to answer all of these promises. The fulfillment of the promises of God start in this person of Yeshua. The gospel writers were convinced of this. And I see a trend. I see a trend of people who claim to be believers, but for some reason they want to minimize Yeshua. And they want to minimize the New Testament. And they want to minimize the proclamation of the freedom found in the blood of Yeshua. And guys, let me tell you something. This is how important the New Testament and Yeshua is. Without the New Testament and Yeshua, the Bible is a book about a God who doesn't keep his promises. That's why Yeshua is so important. That's why the New Testament is so important, because it's a testimony that our God keeps his promises and that he is still alive. And so, that's my soapbox. Um, <laughs> this rabbi, Joshua, Yeshua, begins by, by, by preaching, and, he, and he, says, he, says, he says, the poor in spirit, those who have experienced trauma and suffering and tragedy, I'm talking to you. Those who are humbled, Yeshua says, I'm here for you. 
Yeshua goes to the poor. Yeshua goes to those who are mourning. Yeshua goes to those who are persecuted, those who can't get ahead in the world, those who, who don't have a fair chance, those who are outcasts in all the world. Those that the religious look down on, Yeshua goes to them and he says, I have a spot here in my kingdom for you. And he looks at them and he says, yours is the kingdom. You are blessed. You are blessed because heaven can be a reality for you. Despite your circumstance and situation, you have a place in heaven on earth now. Follow me. Follow me. And he, and he continues. He continues and he speaks about salt and light. You guys remember this verse from Sunday school, right? We kind of skip over it nowadays, but it's really, it's a fascinating verse. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So, okay, he's talking about, yeah, you need to stay, well, not stay salty, but you need to be the salt of the earth, right? You need to be the salt of the earth. And you don't want to lose your saltiness. Now, now this verse, this verse exposes the pure Jewishness of the author of Matthew in remembering this and quoting this, right? So if we read this verse the wrong way, we, we, we may accidentally represent, represent Yeshua in the wrong light. Um, I guess I'll just say it. So guys, sodium chloride, it's a pretty stable compound. Salt, salt's pretty stable. Who here has that Himalayan salt in their kitchen in that glass jar right beside all their essential oils on their counter? Right? Himalayan salt did not form last week. It still tastes pretty salty. We're not dumping a bunch of kosher salt in the ocean to keep it salty. It maintains its saltiness. Salt doesn't lose its saltiness. On a chemical level, it doesn't. And so, and so we're reading this and we're like, oh, well, someone should have told Yeshua that. Because <laughs> he's saying when salt loses its saltiness. Yeshua knew that. And he's playing you. <laughs> he's trying to get you to think. Do you know how I know this? Because in the, there's a section of the Babylonian Talmud and Berkoth, um, section 8 in the, the latter part, B, and, uh, and there's a discussion um, actually about cattle. But there's a little snippet where there's a man asking a rabbi. He, I think I have it here. So there's a man asking a rabbi like, hey, when salt loses its saltiness, how can we get the salt back? Right? So this man asserts this, and here's what the rabbi says. He says, when salt loses its, becomes unsavory, how do we get it salty again? And he replies, with the afterbirth of a mule. And is there an afterbirth of a mule? And he replies, and can salt become unsalty? Anyone get it? Anyone get it? So those of you who don't get it, a mule is like a mix between a donkey and a horse, and they don't, like, reproduce. They can't. They're a hybrid, and they don't, it's very rare, but they don't reproduce. So this is like, this is ask a stupid question, get a stupid answer. Hey, how do you get salt salty again if it loses its flavor? Oh, you take something that doesn't exist and you put it on it. But, but what? Does a mule have afterbirth? Does salt really lose its saltiness? Guys, Yeshua knows this. Yeshua is trying to make a point, and it's a very bold point. He's asking his disciples this, and he's, and he's wanting you to say, okay, his disciples are supposed to be the salt of the earth. And if by chance they lose their saltiness, they'll be thrown out, right? Wait, salt doesn't lose its saltiness. And Yeshua's sitting here saying, exactly. You cannot profess to be a believer 
in Yeshua and to be a follower of this king and not be salty. It's not possible. Yet, the the result's the same. You'll be thrown out and trampled on the feet because you were never, you were never. And I love that. I love that. It's just bold. And so he, he comes in, and then this is our favorite verse in the Messianic movement. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Right? And, uh, and this is great because in the first century, <coughs> how many of you guys know <coughs> that there are certain commandments in the Bible that we are not quite sure how to fulfill? Just a couple. Right? Nothing big, like, you know, I mean, like, what's work on the Sabbath? Right? How, how long does these need to be? Right? What color blue? Right? Anyone ever had an argument about something that the Bible doesn't directly tell you how to do? Right? Some folks go walking on Sabbath, and we're like, you can't go hiking, you're sweating, that's a, that's a break in the commandment, you know? And then some folks are like, no, I just stay at my house, so I can't even, it's work for me to drive my car to fellowship, so I'm just going to stay at home. Right? Because we don't know how, there are some commandments that are a little vague. And so the rabbis begin to realize that, wow, how are we going to keep these things? So the rabbis begin to figure out ways to fulfill the law with different interpretations of the commandment. And there would be a new rabbi in town, and he would come up to a mountain, and he would say, hey, I have a new fulfillment, a new interpretation on how to keep this law. And this would be known as fulfilling the law. And let's say another rabbi came up and totally disagreed with, with, with this assertion on how to fulfill the law and this rabbi's interpretation. He'd say, you're obviously, no, that's not how you keep the Torah. That's how you abolish the Torah. That's how you abolish the Torah. And so Yeshua comes up and right off the bat, he's like, guys, I'm fixing to tell you something hard. And this is from God. I have not come to abolish the Torah of God. I've come to fulfill, I've come to give you the instructions on how to accurately fulfill it, and instructions that have been lost for generations ago. And Yeshua states this preamble um, of his now lecture that he's giving, and, and Yeshua is about to preach, and, and before he does, he states, don't, don't, don't take what I'm fixing to say as disobedience to Torah. Don't do it. This is, this is, this is, I'm, I'm not saying we're going against the Torah. I'm saying that likely you've been living out the Torah the wrong way. And you've been interpreting the Torah the wrong way. And I'm bringing a new, better interpretation that you've never heard before because the selfish agendas of our hearts have taken God's law and made it into something else. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is a rabbi who's preaching in a public park, right? He's not preaching in a big old coliseum or a university or a church. (laughs) This rabbi says that his interpretation of Torah and how to fulfill the commandments is the true fulfillment of how God's people are to act. Can you feel the gravity and the weight of this, of what Yeshua is saying? Like, does it strike you? Like, wow, like that statement right there was big. And who's he speaking to? He's speaking to a bunch of folks just walking around a mountain. He's speaking to a bunch of folks that aren't listening to another rabbi right now. He's speaking to a specific scope of people. The outcasts, the misfits, the undeserving. And, and he says, do you, want, do you want to taste forgiveness? Welcome. For I tell you, for I tell you, 
Unless your righteousness, verse 20, exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. How many of us, this is our favorite verse? No one? I'm going to step on some shoes. Okay. Um, <laughs> so Pharisee. So Yeshua is speaking, and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And, and when we read that, what do we think of? What do we think Yeshua is saying? Has anyone ever, you don't have to raise your hand, has anyone ever read this verse and said, oh, so I have to be a Pharisee in order to be righteous, but I have to be a better Pharisee. I have to do what the Pharisees do better than what the Pharisees do, and then I'll obtain righteousness. Anybody ever like thought that? Anybody know someone who thinks that? <laughs> I need to become uba Pharisee in order to get into the kingdom of God. All right? And, um, and if, we, if we read from like, the rest of the gospel accounts, this is not what Yeshua does. This is not what Yeshua does. When Yeshua tells a man to carry his bed on Shabbat, yeah, carry your bedroom furniture on Shabbat, that's pretty unpharisaic, right? How about when, uh, when Yeshua goes and heals someone on Shabbat? For the most part, pretty unpharisaic. I mean, unless you're like a big liberal Pharisee, no, you don't do that. How about harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Yeah, it's not a very Pharisaic thing to do. How about inviting the unclean to sit at your table with you and dine? Allow the prostitutes to fellowship around you. Allow the tax collectors and the outcasts of society and the ones who could never be welcome in any type of church or messianic community because of the lifestyle that they've chosen to live or they found themselves in who don't have any hope in their life, who have never experienced the love of God. How about inviting them to sit with you in a culture that has standardized and monopolized what table fellowship is and isn't. That's not very, that's not very Pharisaic. And in Matthew 22, an expert in Torah comes to Yeshua, and it's a Pharisee, and he asks him, he says, what is the greatest commandment? We all know the story. He asks him a question that requires one answer. What is the greatest commandment? And Yeshua does this really Jewish thing. He gives him two. Love. The whole Shema, it was God, that's good for me. <laughs> Shema, love God. And, and if, we, if we needed to sum up both of those with one word, love. And, and, when, we, and when we look at something like the Ten Commandments, we, we see like, you know, almost half of them have to do with loving God and the, and the other 60% have to do with, with loving your neighbor. We see Yeshua criticizing the Pharisees. And, and when Yeshua is criticizing the Pharisees, he's not criticizing them for abolishing like the commandments of loving God. They did that pretty good. They did that very well. Read through Matthew 23 and everything. You guys do a great job at all of these things. He accuses them of abolishing the commandments of loving your neighbor. And he's telling you in the Sermon on the Mount, be, be better than that. If you want to be righteous, don't forget about God's mission that every living being of his good creation would experience his love. You can't love God and not love your neighbor. You can't love God and not love that person beside you. Yeshua goes on to say, you can't adequately love God unless you love your enemy. Should we pull it back? Sorry, was that too much? It's hard. It's hard. And do you know why Yeshua preaches such a hard message? Because Isaiah prophesies about what the kingdom of God looks like. In the kingdom of God, all relationships are reconciled. 
That's why forgiveness exists. Radical forgiveness is a requirement for the kingdom. Radical love is a requirement for the kingdom. And, and he goes into anger. Yeshua, he, I forgot, I didn't put these slides in. So verse 21, Yeshua, Yeshua begins speaking about his interpretation of Torah. And if you follow me, verse 21, he says, You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So he says, you heard it said, don't murder. So guys, over here, what is murder? Teens, what is murder? It's when you kill someone with vengeance and retaliation and hatred. You've heard it said, don't murder. So he's quoting Torah. And we all hear that commandment. And we're probably like, oh, I'm righteous. Check. I haven't killed anyone today. Maybe you, maybe you wish you had. But I haven't, I haven't murdered anyone today. Therefore, I'm righteous. This is great. And Yeshua says, no, 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 no. No, but I say, here's the fulfillment of this commandment. I say, if you have hatred and anger in your heart towards your brother, you've murdered him. Yeah, but it was just a mind. You've broken Torah. You broke that commitment. You are a murderer, according to Yeshua. Yeah, but, but, but I didn't murder anyone. I didn't get a knife and stab someone in the chest. No, but your heart, your heart desires these things to come to pass, and that's not a Jeremiah 31 heart. That's not a heart that knows the forgiveness of God. That's not a heart that belongs in the kingdom of God. You're called to be radical. And it's, it's, um, it's unreasonable in this world. But Yeshua says this is, this, is, this is what God's kingdom looks like. And when God's, earthly, or when God's heavenly reign fully engulfs this world, this is what it will be like. There will be peace in all relationships. And love will be the root of all relationships. Was that a hard one? Was that a hard one? Here we go. So, so how about this one? I need to throw the murder away. Verse 27. Lust. Because that's not a problem in our society today. Yeshua says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't slept around. I, don't, I haven't done that. Check, I'm righteous. But did you look at another person as an object to be abused in your heart? Because that's not a Jeremiah 31 heart. That's not a heart that has felt the love and forgiveness of God to reciprocate it forward. That's not a heart of God's heavenly kingdom manifest on earth. The moment that we look at someone and we make them an object is the moment that we break Torah. The moment that we look at someone outside of their identity as an image of God is the moment that we break the Torah. And it may not even be lust. How many of us stereotype people and when we see someone, we paint a story of where they've come from and what they do and what their lifestyle is and we begin to judge them almost in seconds of encountering them. Maybe they have an accent. Maybe it's a skin color. Maybe it's their clothing. Maybe it's their smell. Maybe it's whatever. And we paint a story about them 
And we've abused their identity as an image bearer of God in our heart. I mean, I've done it. Breaking of Torah. Why? Because that's not the Torah. That's not how Torah is kept in God's heavenly kingdom. The first thought that should go through your head when you see any individual. Wow, look at that. It's another image bearer of God. Now there may be circumstances or situations where judgments have to come about. That's fine. First and foremost, that's another image bearer of God. Despite how they look, despite how diverse their culture may be from the way you were raised, despite what language they speak or the accent, despite their skin color, despite, that's an image bearer of God. That's one of us. First. First. Yeshua goes on. He says, Verse 38, he says, You have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Mm. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So we're good with anger. And we're good with, might struggle with lust, but we're good with lust, Yeshua. But this... No, no. If someone comes at me with an offense, they deserve my wrath. They deserve equal weights and measures. They deserve my retaliation towards them. I have that right. They want to come against me, they're my enemy. And here, this rabbi from Nazareth has the audacity to say, no, that's wrong. You've misinterpreted that commandment of an eye tooth for a tooth. What do you mean? Guys, the commandment's good. The law is holy. It's a blessing. It's when we mess it up that it enslaves us. This is a law that was given to to set a standard in a justice legal system, not to use in your back pocket to, to justify revenge. Yeshua says that if someone shames you and humiliates you in public, you do not respond with shame and humiliation. Yeshua said, if someone takes you to court to sue you for your underwear, literally, you give them your jacket as well. If someone forces you to spend time with them and exploiting your availability, you give them more. Why? Because a Jeremiah 31 person represents the image of Yeshua and the suffering and the patience and the enduring of what love is. Pray for your enemies. Why did he tell us that? Because that strips them of their power. The moment that you fight an offense back with an equal offense, the moment that you've identified with this world. That's a hard message. And according to Isaiah, this kingdom where God's presence engulfs this world, it is a kingdom where forgiveness is abundant. And it's a place where love is felt and eternalized in our relationships, and it's a place of peace, and it's a place where our, where our guns will be turned into garden tools. Now, we in Oklahoma, we like our guns. We're from South Carolina, we like our guns too. I can't wait for the day when I'm plowing the field with an AR-15. <laughs> you know? Honey, I need a garden. Yeah, a little 9 millimeter all hammered down to make a shovel for the garden. 
Because there is no circumstance ever in God's kingdom that's coming and will engulf this world where weapons of war will be used. His reign will be established, period. And that's powerful. Be the people that live that kingdom out. Be that people. See, this rabbi says that the new heavens and the new earth prophesied in Isaiah, the restoration of God's kingdom, the time when this wolf will lie down with this lamb, all of these things, all of these promises that we think are happening far away in the future by someone else. We ever think about that? We read all these. It's going to happen out there. This rabbi says that they're being birthed into this world now, and he is recruiting ambassadors of that kingdom to live out that hope as a reality now. Guys, we're called to be image bearers. We're called to be ambassadors of the kingdom. He's calling us to live out our faith following him. If every step that he took planted a piece of heaven, guess what you're called to do? So Yeshua says, and so does the book of Hebrews, Yeshua is saying that your faith should be the reality of things that are hoped for, things that we know are coming but we don't see yet. Our actions and our lives should be the evidence of what is coming. We are called to be the places where heaven kisses earth. We're called to represent God's kingdom on earth in pursuit of following our king. And so I don't know what you're going through in your life right now. I don't know what pressures are closing in on you on all four sides. I don't know what, what relationship issues you're struggling with, what heart issues you might be struggling with. Um, but Yeshua says you can overcome. You can overcome that, and Yeshua says you've been forgiven. And Yeshua says that you're called to be an emissary for his kingdom. So drop everything you're doing. Drop all of the, the things that are weighing you down. Drop that unforgiveness. Drop the anger. Drop the lust. Drop everything that's keeping you from being an ambassador of this heavenly kingdom and follow him. Follow him. Live like it. Show the world what God's love looks like, no matter the cost. And that, that is radical. And that's what our, our king called us to do. Guys, remember that. Remember the, the price of love for you and follow, follow it. Amen? Alvina Malkeno, our father, our king. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for this one day of the week that you've carved out to give to us as a sign, as a symbol of your covenant of love with us. Father, empower us. Prick our hearts of the areas in our life that need to go, do not belong in your kingdom so that we can experience the fullness of your peace and love and mercy. Allow us to forgive that person. Allow us to love that person. Father, allow us to overcome the thoughts of our heart, the wicked ways that we have. Not for our own sake, not because of us, but because of you within us. Father, we thank you for this time. In Yeshua's name we pray, amen. If we could all rise, please. And the Lord spoke unto Moshe and said, Tell Aaron and his sons, <clears throat> This is the way you shall bless the children of Yisrael. Vaishmarecha 
Yahe Arunai Panavi Lakha Vichunecha Yisaharunai Panahavi Lecha Vayasim Lecha Lecha Shalom Vashim Yeshua HaMashiach Sarcha Shalom Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Please join us for Oneg.